Thank you for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. We hope that this message inspires you and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information and resources, visit hopeboon.com. And amen. So why God? Why God? What does the scripture have to say about Almighty God? Well, I would invite you to turn to two passages this morning. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to two passages. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, and John chapter 1, verse 1. Hold your finger in John. We'll, we'll get to that in just a few minutes. But Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, we can't go any farther back than that. It should be on about page 1 of your Bible. I know everybody's page numbers are different depending on the Bible you have, but we can all agree this is page one in everybody's Bible. Genesis chapter one, verse one. In the beginning, come on, you know what? Let's read this out loud together. Let's do it that way. Say it out loud. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God created. You know, God introduces himself within the first four words of Scripture. He doesn't wait a long time. He doesn't take long to uncover who he is. There was a beginning to everything. And the one who orchestrated that beginning is none other than the eternal, self-sufficient, self-sustained, almighty God. There were none before him and there are none beside him. There can be none after him. He fills everything with his presence, and he is almighty and all-powerful. The universe belongs to him by virtue of the fact that he created it. And the only reason that the universe exists is because he desired it to be so. There is no purpose apart from his purpose. For there would be no such thing as purpose were it not for his purpose. He fully inhabits eternity. That's what's on the other side of the beginning and the other side of the end. The vastness of that supernatural realm which exists beyond time and space and matter, not only is he there, he fills it all. Of his majesty and dominion, words fall short in their attempts to describe. Of his power, there is no limit. Of his wisdom, there is no ceasing. Of his mercy, there is no restraint. And of his love, there is no end. This is the God that we serve. Listen to the psalmist, and he says in Psalm 90, verse 1, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting. You are God. <laughs> you say, Pastor Josh, you're coming out of the gate hot. Yeah, you better believe it. You know why? Because I'm talking about the one who was and is and is to come. I'm talking about the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end, the one who is greater than everything that you face, the one who is greater than all of this world and all of this universe, for he himself originated it. He is the author and the finisher of our faith. He was there before us. He'll be there after us. He is great and greatly to be praised is his awesome name. Talking about God. This morning, 
God introduces himself immediately in verse 1. I like that. I like that when, when he authored this book, when he authored these scriptures, he didn't wait to be about three chapters in. He didn't set the stage and leave it mysterious. He came right out and said who he was, introduced himself in the very first instance of Scripture. Let me ask you a question. How do you introduce yourself typically? How do you introduce yourself? If you were to meet somebody for the first time, what would that look like? You'd say, hi, I'm Josh. Hello, I'm Josh. Nice to meet you. How do you introduce yourself? You start by telling who you are. Never met you before. Hi, my name's Josh. Hi, that's who I am. That's how God does. This is how God does it in Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning, God. How does God introduce himself? If you were to go into the Hebrew of this verse, if you were to look at that native language that the Old Testament was written in, combination of Hebrew and Aramaic, and the original texts are, of course, transcribed in Hebrew. And that Hebrew word for God, four words in, is the word Elohim. Elohim, you may have heard that word if you've come to church for any length of time. This is a compound word built on the base of the word El in the Hebrew, E-L, which means strength and might and power. So the very first, the very first syllables of the word Elohim, the very first mention of his name is to tell you and to communicate to you that he is filled with power. Filled with, with power that has no limitation, with power that has no end. That there's no beginning nor end to his power, for his power is infinite. The Hebrew here underscores God's infinite power specifically relative to his creativity. I was listening to a rabbi this week, and he was talking about the nuance of the word Elohim and how, how specifically nuanced it is to relate directly to God's ability to create. He's infinite in power and infinite in his ability to create. The Hebrew here again, underscores God's infinite creative power and reveals him as the creator and master of the universe. The rabbis teach that this word, Elohim, shows that contained within nature, contained within the very creation itself, is the glory of God. That God actually hides his glory in nature. That's what, that's what the nuance of the word Elohim means. Not only does it describe the fact that he's an amazing creator, not only does it describe the fact that he, by virtue of his creation, is the eternal Lord of all, not only does it talk about the fact that he is the, you know, <laughs> the big dog, but it also describes the nuance of how when he was creating, he coded into that creation and disguised it within that creation, his very glory. 
That's why the psalmist goes on to say, the heavens declare the glory of God and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. The twinkle of a star is revealing of the glory of God. The, the, the pattern of the veins on a leaf that you hold in your hand is revealing to the glory of God. The, the fact that when they look under the microscope at a cell and they see a, a literal city of things happening inside of every one of our cells, these things are shouting to us all the time, the glory of the God who created them. It's amazing. The Hebrew word Elohim refers additionally not only just to his power, not only to his creativity, but to his perfect justice, to his perfect order. The word Elohim, the nuance, indicates to us that not only is God flawless in his creativity, but the creation itself is perfect. His justice is perfect. His measurements are flawless. He's never off by a quarter inch. <laughs> I mean, if you've ever built something and had to measure and cut some wood, you're like, doggone it, I've cut this wood three times and it's still too short. It's, you, know, <laughs> you know how they say they measure once, cut, or measure twice, cut once. God doesn't have to measure twice. And he's not cutting, he's just saying it and it is. But his justice, his standard for measurement is perfect. The Lord is flawless in all that he does. We, you know, we used to sing that song, you're a good, good father, it's who you are. And the bridge, I love that the bridge says, you are perfect in all of your ways. This word Elohim underscores the perfection and the majesty of our God. He is the all-powerful, infinitely creative, perfect deity, and he is in total supremacy over all of his creation. Now, why is the meaning of this Hebrew word so important? Aren't there other names for God in the Bible? Yes, there are, and we're going to talk about them in a moment. We sang about them this morning in worship, and I didn't even plan that. There are other names for God, but this one is important for two reasons that I want to give you this morning. Two reasons. Reason number one, it comes first in the Bible. Obviously, right? Can't go back any farther than Genesis 1.1. The very first verse in the Bible. So this mention of God comes first. And, and when you go to Bible school or seminary or Bible college, they teach you biblical interpretation. And there are laws and rules around how we interpret Scripture uh, to help us so that we stay accurate. How many of you are thankful for accurate interpretation of the Bible this morning? Amen. One of the laws or rules that they teach us when we go to Bible college to interpret Scripture is the law or principle or rule of first mention. That is, that when you see something mentioned for the very first time in Scripture, you must pay close attention to that because whatever is said and revealed there is going to continue to be true for the remainder of the narrative of Scripture. You following me? So the, the first time something's mentioned, it's very important Pay attention, you know, uh, exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. So number one, this name, Elohim, is important because it's the first. It's the first that we see of God. Number two, and the reason I want to focus on for a few minutes this morning, is that it establishes God as the source of all things. I need you to, I need you to understand that. If you're taking notes this morning, that's the one to write down. Why is this word Elohim important? Because it establishes God as the source of all things. 
Remember, it speaks of his power and it underscores his creativity and his ability to create the universe from outside of the universe. After all, we are seeking this week to answer the question, why God? So why God? Well, we need God as the source of all things in order to rationally explain the universe. We cannot explain anything without claiming a source. I want you to think about that. Just stop there for a moment and think about the reality of that. We cannot claim anything or explain, excuse me, anything without first claiming a source. Science itself can't explain anything without something already being there. Study of science and the scientific method is, is not a study in origin. It's a study of, exist, of what exists. Science observes what exists and then creates theories and later establishes facts based on what they see of what exists. Am I talking over your head this morning? Or are you, you're getting, you sticking with me? Okay. We cannot start from nothing. You can't get something from nothing. So we have to explain everything by claiming a source. And atheism and agnosticism to this day cannot get beyond this fundamental problem, and that is the origin of life. Charles Darwin published his book that was titled The Origin of Species. It's a terrible title. It's a terrible title. Why? Because it doesn't explain the origin of species. It explains what he believed happened once the species already existed. But he himself faltered at that later on in life. In fact, he, well, I, I don't want to get into that because it would take me off the topic. But you should really look, look some things up. Uh, do some research. <laughs> Darwin, Darwin faltered on this later in life as they began to understand more and more on the complexity of the cell. And, and, and if they were to, if Darwin was alive today and knew what we know about the cell, he would debunk what he said in previous generations. Ag agnosticism and atheism can't get beyond this fundamental problem of the source of everything. God created the universe from outside of it. And that's a very important thing for us to understand. It was God who created the universe outside of the universe. God did not create the universe from within it. He's not bound to what he created. He created it, therefore it came from him, so he exists outside of it. He's not bound to time, space, matter, and history. Even Richard Dawkins, who is a... Have you ever heard of Richard Dawkins? Anybody, just show of hands if you've heard of him. A few of you guys, okay. So there are some other nerds in the crowd. Thank you, I'm in good company. Praise the Lord. Even Rick, Richard Dawkins, who is one of the faces of the New Atheist Movement, and he is author of the book, The God Delusion, he has said some terrible, awful things about Christianity, but we love him anyways, amen? We pray for Richard Dawkins. Lord, save him. But he said the following, and I quote word for word, these are the words of Richard Dawkins, an atheist. He said, it could be that at some earlier time, somewhere in the universe, a civilization evolved, probably by some Darwinian means, to a very, very high level of technology and designed a form of life that they perhaps seeded onto this planet. That is a possibility and an intriguing possibility. 
And I suppose it's possible that you might find evidence of that if you look into the details of biochemistry and molecular biology. You might find a signature of some sort of designer. And and that designer could be a higher intelligence from somewhere else in the universe. So let me get this straight, Dawkins. A more rational, a more uh, intellectually satisfying argument is to believe that an ancient civilization of interdimensional space aliens created life on Earth and seeded it here instead of believing in the beginning God created. Somehow, that's more intellectually satisfying to him. Maybe I should have read it. Maybe I should have read his quote with a British accent. I might have help pull you in a little bit more. No, my friends, Elohim. Elohim. Oh, the one who's infinite in creativity, the one who's infinite in power. You see, it's so important to know that he's infinite in both power and creativity because it would be one thing for him to be infinitely creative but lack the power to execute his creativity. It would be another thing for him to be infinitely powerful and not be able to dream up anything. No, my friends, he's the total package. He's Elohim. He's Almighty God, the one who was and is and is to come. And he created. Now, how did he do it? How did he create? He did it, he created with his word. Amen. He created with his word. Now, we're going to get to that in just a few minutes. Because I'm gonna, as we get closer to the end of the message, I'm going to ask the question, why Jesus? But this is not all that God said about himself in Genesis 1.1. He said more. In fact, throughout the Old Testament, God introduces himself through a process of revealing one at a time his holy and amazing attributes. There are seven names of God that are listed in the Old Testament in addition to Elohim, in addition to El Elyon, and in addition to Adonai. We get into uh, the Jehovah names of God. Are you familiar with them? Again, we sang about them this morning. Jehovah is the word, Jehovah or Adonai is the same word. In in English, we say Jehovah, uh, which is a derivative of the Greek. Uh, In in Hebrew, they say Adonai. It is the unpronounceable name of God, yod Hey vav Hey, are the four uh, Hebrew letters. And uh, the Hebrew people hold this name so sacred that they will not mention it. So instead, they say Adonai. And we, of course, say Jehovah. It simply means the self-existent God. The God who determines his own existence. That is incredible. Wrap your mind around that a couple times. Actually, here's the thing. You can't wrap your mind around it. If you could wrap your mind around God, you have a God that is far too small. So what instead you need to do, instead of trying to wrap your mind around God, let God wrap himself around your mind. Amen? Then you'll really get somewhere. But throughout the Old Testament, he revealed name after name, after, uh, attribute after attribute. The first one we're saying about today, Jehovah Jireh. Comes from Genesis chapter 22, verse 14, where Abraham is about to sacrifice his son, Isaac, the promised son. And God inserts himself into the story and provides. And so Abraham calls the name of the place Jehovah Jireh, the self-existent, self-exalted God who provides. The second is the word Jehovah Rapha, that is the Lord our healer. That comes from Exodus chapter 15, verse 26, where God says, I'm not going to put any of the diseases of you that I put on the Egyptians. I'm the Lord who heals. 
The third is the word Jehovah Nisi, which means the Lord our banner. A banner of war and a banner of victory. It comes from Exodus 17, 15. The, word, the fourth is the word Jehovah Shalom, which is the Lord our peace. This comes from Judges chapter 6, verse 24. The Lord our peace. The word Shalom, of course, in the Hebrew means peace. It means nothing missing and nothing broken. The next is the word Jehovah Ra'ah. Jehovah Ra'ah, and it means the Lord, our shepherd. Of course, you know David writing in Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Aren't you so glad that the Lord is shepherding and watching out and nurturing for your soul? The, la- the second to last one is the word Jehovah Tisidkenu. Tisidkenu, it's a very strange Hebrew word, it's hard to pronounce in English. Jehovah Tisidkenu, it is the Lord, our righteousness, the one who puts us in right standing with himself. Comes from Jeremiah 23, verse 6. And the final one, the seventh one, is Jehovah Shammah, which comes from Ezekiel chapter 48, verse 35. It simply means this, the Lord is present. The Lord is here. I think it's amazing that God, who inhabits eternity, can be equally and intimately present in all of it. Do you understand that God right now is present here and is present in creation to the same power and to the same degree? We're the ones experiencing time, y'all. But he exists outside of it. In fact, he's so big and he's so awesome that his idea, his purpose, was to create a universe and to create some creation with which he could share his goodness. I asked the Lord one time what his purpose was. I said, Lord, what is your purpose? Why, why do any of this? And almost instantaneously, I heard inside of my heart the voice of God. I didn't hear, a, I'm not a weirdo. I didn't hear, you know, spirit, you know, some kind of audible voice or anything like that. I just heard the words of God on the inside of me. That my purpose is to reveal my goodness to my creation. You see, it's God's desire to to reveal his goodness to his creation. And in order to do that, he had to have a creation. So when God said, let there be light, he wasn't saying let there be light just so that he could have light. He was saying let there be light so that he could have a bride. God desired a relationship. He desired, he desired humanity to relate himself to. He desired a creation with whom he could share and reveal his goodness. And so he decided, I need a creation, and he got one. Let there be light. God unfolded now, layer upon layer, his character in the Old Testament. Throughout the entire narrative, with the last one being, the Lord is here. The Lord is present. He revealed towards the end of the Old Testament that he was present. And then guess what? In the New Testament, he showed up. Turn to John chapter 1. Are you ready to shout a little bit? Man. You see, at the beginning of the Old Testament, God introduces himself. And then at the beginning of John's writing of the New Testament, he introduces his son. And he does it in much the same way. This is incredible to me. Look at John chapter 1, verse 1. It says, in the beginning... Sound familiar? 
In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him. And without Him, nothing was made that was made. In Him was life. And this life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and it could not comprehend it. Aren't you glad that Jesus overpowered every dark thing that ever rose up against Him? John explains this perspective on the beginning of time. This is the the foundation blocks. These verses are the foundation blocks of our understanding of Jesus. If you want to know about Jesus, you got to start here. Right? Follow the narrative, y'all. Follow the narrative for just a second. Remember, I talked about why belief, why do we believe anything, why truth, why, if we believe something's got to be true, why the Bible? Because the Bible is a source of truth and everything that we believe comes from it. And then why God? If the Bible has something good to say, then we need to pay attention to what it says about God. And now we need to pay attention to what it says about Jesus. This is the introduction to the Son of God himself. John's gospel begins much the same as Genesis, although we see a different side of God that was hidden until the coming of Jesus. In Genesis, we saw what God's word produced. In John, we see what and more, and more importantly, who God's word actually is. Say that again if you're taking notes. In Genesis, we saw what God's word produced. In John, we see what and more importantly, who God's word actually is. It's none other than the person of Jesus. Jump down, if you would, to verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14 says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Next verse. John bore witness of him and cried out saying, this was he of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me because he was before me. Next verse. And of his fullness we have all received and grace upon grace. Verse 17. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through who? Jesus Christ. There it is. Now we come to it. The Word made flesh, God in person. That's a heavy thought, y'all. God in person, in living color, right here, right now. In verse 1, John shows us that God's Word is forever intimately connected and at one with himself. That's verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's why I always try to remind people of the value of their Bible, of the value of this Word of God. We need the Word. Why? Because it it is intimately connected to God. Always has been, always will be. You'll never be able to separate God from this precious, precious, precious Bible. Verse 2, John immediately gives the Word a personality. He says, He was in the beginning. Oh. So the word's more than just a thing. It's a person. 
Verse 3, John ties that person of the word back to creation, says everything that was made was made through him, and there was nothing made that was made without him. And then we jump down to verse 14, and we find out that that same word that had created the heavens and the earth, that same word that was spoken into existence and created into existence all that we can see and even that which we cannot see, we find out that that person became flesh. That that word went forth from the throne of God and literally came inside, stepped inside of creation. The same word that was from the beginning, the one that created, now places himself within the creation. That's incredible to think about. He says that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And what did we do? We beheld his glory. You've heard me say this before if you've come around here, but for those that maybe haven't heard me say this, the word beheld in the Greek is such a powerful word. It means to behold and be held by. Have you ever, have you ever observed something beautiful? You ever gone to the Grand Canyon and been captivated by it? You ever catch a sunset out on the parkway and you just got to stop in your tracks because maybe you're moved to tears by how beautiful it is? You're beholding it, but it is holding you. The Bible says that when the word became flesh, what did we do? We beheld his glory. What is that glory? It's the same glory that God coded into creation. And here Jesus came and put it on display. Why Jesus? Why Jesus? Because he's everything that God ever revealed about himself except in the flesh, in the here and now, in the creation. He is everything that God ever revealed about himself in the Old Testament. He's all of that and more because he's right here, right now. He's in the flesh. He didn't stay in heaven. He didn't shout out from the, from the eons of, of eternity, hey, I love you, I hope you're doing well. He actually left his throne. He abandoned and emptied his deity and his, his right to be a deity, and he came and got in the flesh and began to dwell and live amongst us, his creation. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 1. You got time for two more scriptures? Amen. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. Listen to this. It says, in the past, God spoke to us. Or excuse me, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. What does that mean? Oh, here, I'll, I'll, I'll slow down so they can get the verse up on the scripture on the screen there. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, and I'm reading from the, new, the uh, NIV, New International Version. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. Now stop right there. What is he talking about? He's talking about everything that I told you about God. Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah uh, you know, Jireh. Jehovah Shammah, all of the Jehovah names were how God revealed and spoke to the, to the Hebrew ancestors and to the prophets for all those years. But let's keep going. He says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by whom? By his son. Who's that? Come on. That's Jesus. 
In these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he also made the universe. Watch this now. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. He sustains all things by his powerful word. Look at what it says there. The sun is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. If you want to know what Jehovah Jireh looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what Jehovah Rapha looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what El Shaddai looks like, look at Jesus. If you want to know what Elohim looks like, look at Jesus. He's the radiance of the glory of God. I like what Strong's Bible Dictionary says. It says, Jesus perfectly reflects the majesty of God. Jesus perfectly reflects the majesty of God. Listen to what Philippians chapter 2 says, and we'll close with this. Philippians chapter 2. I'm reading from the Living Bible here. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says these words. Your attitude should be the kind that was shown to us by Jesus Christ, who, though he was God, did not demand and cling to his rights as God. What a powerful thought. Stop right there for just a second. Y'all got time for me to meddle in the scripture for two more minutes. Come on, y'all. This is good. Your attitude should be the same kind that was shown to us by Jesus Christ. Why? Because he, though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. That's an amazing thought. Jesus was able to humble himself. He didn't demand that he remain God forever. As a matter of fact, he, he left that eternal place and stepped down into humanity. Verse 7 says, he laid aside his mighty power and his glory. Taking the disguise of a slave and becoming like men. Verse 8, he humbled himself even further. Going so far as actually to die a criminal's death on that cross. Watch verse 9, here it is y'all. Yet it was because of this that God raised him up to the heights of heaven and gave him a name which is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Because he gave up his right to be God. Because he traded in his eternal perfection. Because he set that aside to come on this mission, to come to earth in the form of a man. Because he came, as as the Bible says, is Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because he came with us and lowered himself and humbled himself to the point of dying on a cross because of all that. God 
has raised him up to the heights of heaven. King James says God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every other name. Now watch this. Let me, let me drive it home for you this morning. His name is higher. We talk about it all the time. His name is higher. It's greater. It's beyond. Higher than what? Do you ever think about that? Jesus has been given the name that's above every other name. Above what other names? And we are, you know, is it evil things? Things like leukemia? Things like cancer? Things like defeat? Things like strife? Yeah, of course. Amen. That's why we pray, you know, when people, when, when, when people get sick and, we, and they, they come to, to the church and, or we hear about it, we pray for them. We say, praise God, the name of Jesus is stronger and higher than the name of cancer or, or the name of lupus or the name of leukemia or the name of, of you name it. But can I take it a little farther for you this morning? Can we ratchet that up a little bit? Beyond just his name being greater than evil things, his name is higher than all the other names from the Old Testament. His name is higher than the name Elohim. His name is higher than Jehovah Jireh. His name is higher than Jehovah Rapha. His name is higher than Jehovah Shalom. You see, if I have Jehovah Jireh, I have a provider. If I have Jehovah Rapha, I have a healer. If I have Jehovah Shammah, I have a God who's present. If I have Jehovah Shalom, he is my peace. But if I have Jesus, I have all of it. If I have him, I have all of it. Everything God ever intended to be, he placed it in his son. And that son came in the likeness of human flesh, died a criminal's death. So now God has highly exalted him to the degree that every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. Richard Dawkins is someday going to declare Jesus is Lord. I don't say that. Man, I don't say that vengefully. It's just the reality that you and I are going to bow our knee and we're either going to do so willingly or sorrowfully. We're going to confess that Jesus is Lord at some point. Will you declare that he's Lord now? Will you declare that he's God now? Will you bow your knee willingly or will you be forced to bow it sorrowfully? Oh man, my Jesus, he's, he's the greatest. He's the name that's above every other name. If, if this doesn't evoke worship from your heart, then there's something out of order. There's something out of place. You gotta go back to the Bible. You gotta go back to God and say, Lord, I, there's something in me that's messed up because when I see the name Jesus, when I hear these things, I'm not evoked to worship you. Yeah, I mean, if this doesn't stir you up, man, you gotta go back to the author and say, help me, help me, Father. Holy Spirit, meet me where I'm at. Holy Spirit, meet me where I'm at so that rekindle and light again the fire that's on the inside so that, so that at the name of Jesus, I willfully bow my knee and confess that you're Lord. And can I tell you something? He'll do it. He's just that gracious. And he's just that kind. He's just that loving that he wants to pour out his love on you. He wants you to recognize who he is. Not for his sake, but for yours. Let's stand to our feet this morning. Hallelujah.
Next week, we're going to continue to answer this question, why Jesus? And we're going to also answer the question, why salvation? All this stuff is so important. Why is it important that we be saved? We're going to look at what we believe. We're going to continue to examine what we believe. And I hope you would, you would come hungry for that. I'm hungry to receive. Let's bow our heads. Father, in Jesus' name. Thanks again for listening to the Hope Church Podcast. Our church exists to see people from all walks of life know Jesus, connect and grow, discover their purpose, and make a difference in this world. If you would like to connect with us further, or if you need prayer or assistance, please visit us at hopeboon.com, where Jesus loves you, we love you, and your life counts.